Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast, Tools, Talents, and Techniques, where we'll have the pleasure today of speaking with Mr. Vernon Beckford, the CEO of Diversified Lending Solutions. Now, Vernon has been uh, leading his company through what, what I would consider a, a period of rapid growth and expansion, and he has become well-known for his innovative and forward-thinking approach to business. So in this conversation, we'll dive into Vernon's background, we'll learn more about his experiences that led him to his current position, we'll explore the challenges that he's faced as a CEO and the strategies that he's employed to overcome them, and we'll also discuss the unique aspects of his company and the role that it plays in the lending industry. But our conversation won't just be about business, we'll also get to know Vernon as a person, learn about his interests, his hobbies, passions outside of work, and we'll explore how his personal life has influenced his career and how he balances his professional and personal responsibilities. So whether you're a business leader yourself or simply interested in experiences of successful entrepreneurs, um, I hope you enjoy this insightful and engaging conversation with Mr. Vernon Beckford. Uh, I want to jump right in and allow you to, uh, to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about yourself and, and your company. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So again, Vernon Beckford, CEO of Diversified Lending Solutions, DLS for short. Uh, DLS is a capital markets advisor for small to mid-sized real estate operators. And what that means is we help operators get the funding they need to grow their businesses faster. Um, typically, as we've you know, all experienced on some level for folks who've done real estate or thinking about doing real estate, getting capital is usually one of the more intimidating aspects of the deal process. And for folks that are super experienced, in many cases, they still don't have access to the capital that will allow them to do bigger deals. Um, so they end up taking a long time to make very small wins. So our goal is to take very talented folks who have all of the endowments of a great operator and just help accelerate their growth. And so you, in, in your focus of your business and, uh, it, you know, there's, a, there's an aspect to it that's really trying to help small businesses, like, like you just mentioned. Uh, can you talk about how you arrived at this, at this decision to, re to really focus your business on this? Absolutely. And it's a story I love to tell because, I mean, I, I feel it very, very passionately. I remember being a, a student at Columbia University trying to figure out what path I was going to take. I was a poli-sci major at the time trying to figure out, was I going to go the politics route or was I going to go the business route? Because I was always intrigued with business. And I was an intern uh, at Credit Suisse working in their real estate department. And I said to myself, this is really like, this is amazing. I'm, I'm participating in financings of really big buildings that I see on TV and read about in the newspaper. And I'm learning how real estate deals actually get done on a real level. So in my mind, I said, this is a no brainer as far as a career choice, because this is really fun and exciting. But there was a part of me, I'd say the poli side part of me that was always kind of nagging around, okay, well, who are you helping, right? Who, who, who's the beneficiary mm. of what you're doing? And so um, I ended up taking a job at Credit Suisse, but, but that feeling kind of never died. And I, and I tried to convince myself in a lot of ways well, you're, you're, you're facilitating deals being done and that has some impact on people's lives. But at the end of the day, I still didn't feel connected to my mission as, strong as, as strongly as I wanted to. How can I actually use the real estate industry as a vehicle to facilitate 
the type of development that I'd love to see in the communities I care about. So what ended up happening is that I would have a friend here, friend there that was doing a deal on the side, you know, buying a brownstone, a duplex, redeveloping something. And those were some of the most exciting deals to get involved on a small basis because you could see the real impact that they would make in a community almost overnight. Um, and so the, the frustrating thing about that is that unlike working at a big bank, you know, putting together the financing on those really small projects felt like, in many cases, harder than the projects I was working on that were $100 million projects. So I said, there's something screwy here where you can uh -huh. be a small operator, a small developer trying to do a relatively small project, and the resources and the capital are just not there in a way that makes that as straightforward as it should be. So that was always an issue for me. And as I got farther in my career, I finally felt that I, I had the experience, I had the know-how, I had the relationships to take all of that institutional kind of quality and pedigree and experience and start helping operators that were much earlier in their journey, you know, grow their businesses. And in turn, by doing that, making a real um, direct impact, positive impact on uh, local communities, specifically for me, communities of color. You know, I want to I want to dive deeper into that and that impact that you're making. But before before we do that, I think there's something that you said or you mentioned about working at the big bank and Credit Suisse that I'd like to 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 discuss first, and we'll and we'll kind of get there if you will. Um, making that decision and going to work at those type. Well, what what was it like even getting into a school like Columbia? Like, what what was that decision like, and how did that unfold? So it's funny. I mean, and that's actually, it's, it's, it's all related. I remember participating in a program called the YEP program at Columbia when I was in high school. It was the Young Entrepreneurship Program, and it was targeted for uh, uh, brown and black folks that were interested in learning about entrepreneurship, uh, what it actually meant. And, and, and it was funded at the time by Michael Milken, and uh, I learned over time who Michael Milken was. And you got to see um, what the, you know, you hear entrepreneurship every day now in, in, in the TV. It's become like a very common term in the lexicon. When I was in high school, it sounded like kind of cool, but you didn't really know what, it, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur and how do you become one? So doing mm. that at Columbia, like, was a stamp in my mind. Oh, this is if, if they're teaching me this here at Columbia, like I want to do more of what's going on here because like this is really, really exciting. So I applied to, to Columbia and, and I was fortunate enough to get in. And once I got in um, and the more people I got exposed to, I was like, oh, I need to be involved in business. And so that's really what led me there. And then I was fortunate enough to do some really, really great internship programs, specifically inroads and SEO. And once that expanded my exposure even more, it really, really kind of set me on my path to to a career in in, in entrepreneurship, finance, and, and in real estate. So that's interesting. So even from from that age, even you know, high school and going into Columbia, you had entrepreneur in your brain uh, stamped in your heart way before you even did all these other things. So that's 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 great to know. I didn't I didn't realize that. I'll make a concession. So, let me let me let me just add one thing because I, I won't I won't take sure. too much credit for that. Where really, I <laughs> where it really came down to is that I was a huge comic book fan, right? Number one, 
Oh, interesting. I still am. And I wanted to find a way to be able to buy more comics. Um, And I figured, okay, business could be a really cool way to do it because I'd always been going to comic conventions and saw people selling books. And I wanted to figure out a way to be able to buy more books. So actually the business that I started while at the Young Entrepreneurship Program was a comic retailer. And so, and the reason why I'm getting somewhere with the reason why I bring this up is because I think it was Bruce Wayne. It wasn't Vernon Becker. It was Bruce Wayne and seeing this guy (laughs) (laughs) who was a, 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 a billionaire by day and a Cape Crusader by night who had the benefit of being able to like save the world, you know, but also had all of the trappings of this amazing life. I was like, all right, I kind of want to like re-engineer Bruce Wayne. Like, how do I do that? And in my mind, it wasn't uh. being a doctor or a lawyer that got me there. I was like, I got to start a business or something. So that's really what led me down the path of entrepreneurship. Give full credit to Bruce Wayne. Wow, that's interesting. So, um, well, f- first, I-, I have to introduce you to uh, a guy in San Diego, um, Named Dre Dre Evans, he actually works in commercial real estate, and he is a fan of comics and graphic novels. So he actually put together uh, a comic that's focused on uh, commercial real estate and and black and brown youth. And so he's trying to put those two worlds together in actual putting together a comic book. Wow. So I would love to meet him. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. So I'll have to introduce you. And so another thing I want to I want to you know add to that. I, I speak with my wife sometimes about this, about mentors, and what that what that means. And um, I think one of the things that that we talked about even last week was that sometimes it. it it doesn't all have to be in one person as a, as a mentor. Like you can find mentors everywhere in a lot of different ways. And, and sometimes people aren't even real. Like you can look for inspiration to, to again, uh, a character in some, in a book, in a comic book, in a movie, and take those pieces of that person, the things that you want to, um, you know, implement in your life and, and do that. So I think that's fantastic that you, uh, that you shared that. That's pretty cool. So true. So true. I couldn't agree more. Okay. So, so, okay. So you go, you go to, you go to Columbia. Um, you have, you have that experience. So what was it like actually going into the, the banking world? So you went, you went directly to the banking world from Columbia, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Was- How was that adjustment? It was, I mean, it was, it was absurd. I mean, at that point in time, this was the (laughs) early 2000s. Everybody wanted to be a banker, wear a pinstripe suit, you know, go eat sushi at at Nobu. So it it was, it was very much as much a cultural kind of decision as it was a monetary one. Obviously bankers, you know, coming out of school, you came out at that time. And if you could make whatever, you know, um, 100, 125, 150K, you were like, oh, I'm, I'm living on easy street. Like I'm, I'm crushing it. So it, it was a time where um, it was exciting to be a part of that. It was what I would call almost like a fraternity lifestyle because it was grueling. And at the time, the perception was you, it's trial by fire. So you, the, the, you, you come into a shop with the expectation you're going to work 100 hours a week and they're going to kick your butt and they're going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at you and see if you break down and, you know, you're going to stay up and until and, and two and three in the morning and be eating dinner every night in the office with your coworkers. 
all that stuff that now kind of sounds like a little bit crazy and, you know, um, uh, abusive. And, you know, you see all the news pieces around, you know, this is not a way to treat people, especially coming out of college. That was just the, you know, run of the mill. It was the expectation, you know, when I graduated that you were just going to get put through the ringer, trial by fire. And if you were strong or fortunate enough to persevere, you may come out on the other side and make some money and look like a rock star. And then, and when you weren't working, cause you, you know, you got out of work at one or two in the morning, then you went and partied right after, you know, and let off some steam and then came back at, you know, nine o'clock the next day. So it was a wild time. It was crazy. Um, you know, add that to the, to, 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 to the fact that I did it both in New York City and in Tokyo, two amazing cities. So imagine being someone in your young, you know, early twenties, nothing but energy, excitement, and uh, you're dealing with all of that, and you're one of the only brown faces in the room. It, it was a, it was a crazy experience. And so when you, how, with the dealing with the, the stress, it sounds like you said you blow up the steam at night. Again, I was, I, I was, you know, I blew up plenty of steam in my early twenties. And uh, so, like, what what was was that? What you kind of went towards for, um, for? Was it just like stress, or just like the way, the way things were? Um, I mean, could you say it like it's wild? But was it? I, I, tell me about like the stress levels that, that you faced during that time. It was. It, I would say the stress levels were extreme. So why were they extreme? Well, the expectation was it was almost like you know, be a good soldier, do what you're told, and um, improve your your um your endurance so that means mm -hmm. um stay there late and frankly not just do work i mean it was hey order everybody dinner get everybody you know there may be some days where folks are busy go get them lunch you know go to the go to we, we would get sent to the the copy um back in the day before folks were doing everything digitally we would have to send massive packets to investors well that means you know run over to the printing press and uh, oversee what they're doing to make sure that they're not, you know, printing in, in, incorrectly. So you're in a printing press till 2, 2 a.m. in the morning. I mean, stuff that today people would, would kind of scoff at and say, oh, no, you know, I'm not. And this is coming right out of Columbia. So it wasn't, you know, you, you're kind of high flying thinking that you, you quote unquote done what you needed to do. And then you realize, oh, no, no, no. Like, practice just started you're you're not even on the field yet so um wow yeah so, you know when you're going through that we got so good i tell you it's like you're modeling one second and you're making sure that you you know fully understand a dcf model and then you get really good at memorizing what sally or billy likes for dinner so that you can go ahead and put the dinner on <laughs> it and you're like <laughs> and then you're running over to to to, to the to the you know meatpacking district to some random printer it was just outrageous so yes yeah, so that means a lot of stress and then by the way if you made a mistake it was not a forgiving environment where you were just given a pat on the back and told okay try again it was like why the you know why the bleep did you bleep up you know do you really want this job you could be out here next week so in that kind of environment high stakes high pressure um there was a lot of stress and it was not uncommon from from my colleagues and us to, you know, as soon as we were done, when we should be racing off to our bed and getting some rest, it was like, no, let's try to eke out a little bit of excitement uh, in, 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 in the day so that we're not just driving ourselves crazy. So for sure, mm -hmm. it was a, a 
stress is definitely a, a key would be a key, a key aspect of that time period. Well, you you know what? There's there's so many things that I feel like you you learn in college, well, in all aspects of life. But when you you said, like, "Wow, the practice didn't even start yet," <laughs> you know, when you went into the so. I just really feel like that experience as hard as hard as it is. And I'd love to hear your, your take on this. Like that there's, there's um there's bonding in that suffering. And then there's also bonding in, in the, the blowing off steam after and all those things. And I I'd love to hear your take on the, cause as hard as that was like, yeah. what tools, what tools did you take from that experience that now you put into your, in your current business? Sure. That's a great question. I mean, there's no question in my mind that some of the best relationships that I forged were in those in, in those times with the people I worked with. In fact, I can say that even however many years later, the strongest relationships were there people I'll, I'll just call up and ha- and feel no hesitation as to asking a question or asking for help or 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 anything like that. A lot of the people that are on that list were those people that I was up late with going through all this ridiculousness with. And so Mm -hmm. there's no question that those bonds are invaluable as you develop your career. And and for me, the skills that I think it helped engender or build, number one was resilience, right? There comes a point in everybody's life where they kind of have to start growing up. And it's very easy if you go to a great school to think, well, you know, okay, I've done what I need to do and I'm going to get a nice job and it's going to kind of move on this very linear progression. And when you go into a room or a pit where there are a bunch of people that, you know, are really not going to give you a pat on the back and they're not going to say great job. They're just like, well, that was the, the, the minimum criteria to be able to step into this room. And then they give it to you and you can take it and you persevere you teach yourself what you're capable of, right? And you teach yourself to be confident in yourself and you teach yourself that you can actually absorb body blows and, and navigate through adversity and it not break you. And when you have that feeling and you know it, then you become like a superhuman, right? Because if you already have the intellect and if you have the hard work ethic, and then you realize whatever I'm afraid of or whatever I didn't even know to be afraid of, I encountered and it didn't break me then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. let, what, what could you throw at me? The other thing that I, that it taught me, it was like soft skills are almost a forgotten art, I think, in the, in the technological age where it's about, mm. you, know, you know, sending people, me, you know, text messages and emails. It's like there, there's something to be said for building face-to-face relationships with people, you know, going through ordeals with them and, and just kind of, sharing, like you said, the the pain together and going off and blowing off steam. Sounds silly, sounds insignificant, but like that's where you actually kind of really build those those meaningful bonds and you forge something that you wouldn't have been able to do just kind of staring, you know, across a computer screen, emailing back and forth. Um, there's so many things I learned from that period. I remember when I went to Japan and... Um, that was even more extreme than the U.S. You'd see bankers coming into the office at like 3 p.m. because they'd been out till 6 a.m. with their with their client. <laughs> it's a young person. I'm like, what? Like, what kind of life is this? They're just partying all day. And I was like, 
yeah, they were partying, but they were actually transacting and they were bringing and they were rainmakers. They were bringing business in. I couldn't appreciate it at the time um, that, that, that that was strategic. And so you you also learn from the big boys and you see how how real business gets done, which is not the way that you get taught in a textbook. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that back up about the experience and going because I've heard wonderful things about that's one of my bucket list of going to spending some time in, in Japan. How long were you over there and had that experience? So <laughs> the story was was funny. So I remember so vividly. My MD said, Vernon, um, we we have a deal team in in Tokyo. They're new. They haven't done deals. Um, they haven't brought a deal to market. They need some some backup. Can you go out there to help them for a few days? I was like, yeah, sure. They said, yeah, just bring bring a, a, a you know a, a few changes of clothing. Get on the next flight out there. They need your help right away. But you know, just just come back after like you know whatever uh, three four days. So I'm like, <laughs> um, okay. So I I get out there and I go to the office and the first thing they ask me is like, okay, great. How long do we have you? And I was like, I don't know, three, four days. It wasn't really decided. And they were like, and they just all started laughing. And they were like, um, no, you're going to be here longer than that. Why don't you go back home in three or four days to like get a whole suitcase full of clothes? Because we're going to need you for like at least a month. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so I work for three days. I go back. And then I was, I was, I remember I was terrified. I went to my boss because I was like, this guy is basically trying to like jettison me in Tokyo or he's trying to like play some game. And so I was like, how long do you want me there? Or, or is this is this a sign you don't want me here? What's going on? And he's like, no, that's not it at all. I realized they need more help than I thought. Go out there for as long as they need you. And so mm. I was out there for a few months. I mean, it just kept rolling. It went from, you know, a couple of weeks to, <laughs> to a month. And then I was like, I need to get some more clothes. And it ended up being, um, you know, about three months. Uh, how culturally, what, what was it like getting adjusted there? I, I get it. I've, I've only heard from, you know, third-hand experiences of, and, and great things, all wonderful things about the culture. But what was it like getting, getting acclimated? So one of the things, like, I had always been intrigued with, um, with Japanese culture on some level. So I did find it exciting to go. What I would say is that when you go, you realize that you're an American. And what I mean by that is that it is not, you know, you can go to London and feel like an extension in many respects culturally of New York. It it looked mm. like a modern city, but culturally it felt dramatically different. And so I'll give you one example. When we started going into business meetings and folks would um, give you your uh, a business card. And then they would say the name of their company, and then they would say their name. And I would always find that kind of confusing. I said, why do they do that? And then someone explained to me, they said, listen, the meeting, the, the impetus behind the meeting is for the two companies to meet. And so they're, they're leading with the company because that's what matters. And they're secondary to the meeting. They're just a piece of this company. And that's the exact opposite of how we think as Americans. It's like, oh, I'm Vernon Beckford. Hey, I'm going to go and walk in this meeting and tell them what I think we should do and this, that, and the third. And so culturally learning to, you know, kind of subordinate yourself to a, the larger organization, learning that like societally and culturally um, being extremely um, conscious of how what you do affects other people. 
it, it was just a completely different way of of being. And then the fact was is that being an African American in that setting, most African Americans that I encountered were in the, the armed forces. So for folks to see an African American male of my age working at an investment bank in Tokyo and 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 going out with a team of Japanese folks would always just raise eyebrows. People were just intrigued, like, who is this guy? Why is he here? What yeah. is he doing? There was just a ton of conversations. And some of the best relationships I formed were because we're out of mutual curiosity in the sense of like, wait, like I've never had the opportunity to really sit down and speak to someone like you. And I would say in vice versa for me. And so culturally it was like, drinking out of a fire hose because initially it was extremely lonely because nobody in my desk who spoke actually spoke English wanted to speak English because they were so self-conscious, which speaks to, again, Japanese excellence. It was like if they're not fluent, perfect speakers, they didn't even want to risk like making the mistake. Once like the barrier got broken, though, and I made relationships. Oh, man, that was a fun. It was a fun town to uh, to, to run around with and so much to learn. So much culture, so much history. It was phenomenal. Well, I, I love I love the concept of asking seeing seeing how they did things differently and leading with the company first. And you like, oh, that's different. That's why and so those are the type of things where, you know, when we reflect, when you look back on things and say, like, okay, now this is something that changed your way of seeing the world it's like seeing things through it through a different lens and i in a way and i maybe i can't draw a direct correlation but even the fact of what you're what you're saying of like hey i i'm, I'm making money i'm doing this but there has to be a greater good like there has to there's something else here and, and and doing the two things together and that so everything that you're that why you focus um your business on lending um and and supporting um, communities and it's, it's, there's, there's so much there and how that all is, you know, forged together in who you are and how you do things and all those experiences you carry forward into your life in your career. I love how you pulled that thread together because, and I've never thought of it exactly in those terms, but when I, but when I think about what you said with the business card example, you're a hundred percent right. On some level, there has to be a, a concept of subordinating oneself to something that's bigger, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be that you subordinate yourself to your company. But in my mind, the goal of business is not, you know, just to make money. It's to create solutions, right? It's to help address some need. And so part of that need, you know, can be quite um, visceral. Maybe I need uh, access to housing. I may need access to quality health care. I may need access to... Um, um, uh, um, environments that allow me to socialize and, and build community. And so for me, when I think about real estate and the power of real estate, it's A, yes, obviously the wealth creation opportunities, but there's nothing in my mind that, that has a more direct impact in how people live their lives than real estate. When you talk about the the impact that it has. And right now, I think this is, especially in this, in this economy and things that are happening right now with the, you know, interest rates rising. Um, could you talk about, and again, I, I want to leave this open to, to you kind of explain it how, how you will, 
we see we see how all of the the economy and how it affects everybody down you know in the in the in the, in the food chain. Um, how have you seen this impact your sector and what you're doing? And if you could elaborate on on the things that you're doing to overcome those challenges. Absolutely. So the short answer to your question is that it's wreaking havoc. There's really no other way to say it. Interest rates going mm -hmm. up is a natural part of economic cycles. Interest rates going up as quickly as they did in this case or have been uh, has really set shockwaves through the system. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the fact that interest rates have gone up so fast by so much so fast has meant that if you're a buyer of real estate, you're not willing to pay the same amount you were willing to pay yesterday because it's going to cost you so much more to borrow than it did yesterday. If you're a seller, you may not be uh, in tune with the fact, uh, or if you're in tune with it, you may just not accept the fact that the asset that I thought was worth you know, $10 million yesterday is worth $7 million or $6.5 million today. So I'm just not going to sell. So you have these basic logger jams where buyers and sellers are still kind of not on the same page in terms of where transactions are valued at. And so transaction volume has been has been really clogged up. I think until there's more clarity from the Fed as to where interest rates will normalize, it'll be very difficult for buyers to confidently um, price assets. So that's one thing that, 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 that that's going on. The other thing I'd say is that we've watched, I mean, in the last month or two months, how many bank failures have we witnessed? We've witnessed Silicon Valley Bank. We've witnessed Signature, mm -hmm. right? So we've witnessed Credit Suisse. We, the, list, the list goes on and on. And so banks were already in a position where leading up to kind of 2023, they were pumping like the brakes on additional lending because I'd lent so much the last prior years. Then seeing all of these banks um, collapse, well, what do you think is going to happen? Are they going to lend even more? No, they're going to pull back even more to make sure that they're buttressed against runs on their own banks that and the regulators are going to pressure them to be even more conservative. So what that means for a small operator is that if you took it for granted that you were going to go get a bank loan, the reality is you're probably not going to, not unless you have a really strong relationship with a bank already, or you're willing to bring a ton of deposits to them, or they think that this is some sort of strategic relationships where they can make loans to you that they love for the next five years. It's not going to happen. I had a deal, Dustin, and I was flabbergasted. 95% occupied multifamily building with no debt on it. Family had owned the property for 20 years. I took that to probably two or three dozen Houston-based banks where, where the, the, the deal was located. And I got one quote, only one. And that quote was at 7.5% interest rate um, for a fully stabilized uh, multifamily property. You would think if there was one asset, that would be easy to finance in even this market, it would have been that. So that yeah. to me should tell everybody what they need to hear as far as our banks really lending right now. The answer is largely no. And so that creates a huge void because guess what? Local regional banks are the, are the lifeblood of community-based lending. So if they're not lending money, guess what happens? You know, people don't get loans. 
And so what we've been focused on is really helping folks pivot and find alternative sources of funds so they can still get their deals capitalized. And there are alternatives, but that's been what we've observed is really being a major pain point. You know what? This is this is one of the one of the primary reasons why I was excited to to have you to have you come on and and talk to the listeners about this because I feel like every, your your knowledge and of the industry and your background and even hearing more. I mean, I mean, what you expressed earlier is even more than I was I was aware of. But your resiliency, your experience, and and seeing all these different uh, aspects of of the of the industry in general and real estate and banking um and your priority and focusing and helping people i think is it's it's moving and um and, and i wanted to make sure that you were able to share your story and get this out there so i i, I just wanted to tell you i appreciate um you sharing all that and your insight here thank you no i appreciate that i really do it's it's so to that point where it's you know it's it's hard out there and it's tough and, and I wanted to ask the difference for you and here as a, as a small business owner, I've realized the difference between misery and frustration. And I've been in, I've been in situations where work environments where I was miserable Yep. now working for myself and working with people that I, I like, I trust, I respect. And, you know, there's frustration sometimes, but in the end there's, there's, there's a freedom there. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, this, so the stress levels, you know, they, they fluctuate, there's some anxiety. Um, but in the end, there's a freedom to, to make choices. I I wanted to to ask you how, how do you see that difference working, working for yourself and being able to make these decisions? Um, and, and, and that, that whole vibe, if you will. I couldn't agree more in the sense that when you're, um, when you're in a work environment that doesn't allow you to fully lean into your full potential, miserable is the only word to to use to describe it, unless you're in full denial. I mean, it's it's a horrendous existence. And um, if you're working with an end goal, hey, I want to save X amount of money, um, or hey, I want to be able to create some stability for my family, you can often find ways to see through the misery because there's a bigger goal. And so I say that to say that it, it's not uh, working a job that, that is the source of misery. It's not being able to lean into your potential. And so for many folks, um, the, the fear of fully leaning into their potential overrules their misery, if that makes sense. So mm. they may feel miserable <laughs> And they may on some level acknowledge their misery, but their fear around what it would mean to fully lean into their own confidence and their abilities, right, is so overwhelming that it feels like misery is a better option in some cases, as crazy as that sounds. And so for me, on some level, I had to accept the fact that you have to challenge yourself and challenge what you're capable of doing. And you do it with the full knowledge that you may achieve your goal, you may not, but you will learn something about yourself in the process that will help you get to your final destination. And if you don't give yourself that opportunity simply because of your fear or simply because of your anxiety, then you're selling yourself short, right? Because you're allowing your fear 
and your anxiety to excuse the fact that you're miserable. And it, and that's not why we were here. You know, I don't want to get too philosophical, but we're not here to be miserable. There's too, there's too much to do and there's too much greatness in all of us to accept that. Amen. I, I, man, you are talking my language. And that's the thing, like being, being, and, and all those situations, whether what, misery is, you know, I mean, there's, that's part, it's part of life. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying people shouldn't go through those experiences. There's so much to learn um, in those and, and not necessarily what you want to do, but what you don't want to do, what you, what you will put up with, what you won't put up with um, and finding what are the things that, that bring you joy with things that that you're that you're good at your your talents the the things that that you can bring to the world and lean into those and i, I just think um that's absolutely beautiful what, what you just said so thank you thank you I, I don't think you know and you talk about like being too philosophical like like that's why that's why we're here you know like this is this is the whole point is, is to grow and be the best version of ourselves and and find that version of ourselves that, that you want to have out in the world. So it's all, it's all tied together. Absolutely. And, and, and I, and, and the last point to that, Dustin is at the end of the day, you're not going to be really good at it if you don't enjoy it and you don't find some motivation or some validation in it. So, you know, on some level, you're not challenging yourself uh, to your full capacity if you're miserable, because if you're miserable, you can't fully lean into whatever you're doing. So it's actually also a matter of just functional uh, productivity. If you want to be productive, do something that doesn't make you miserable. Mm -hmm. So to, to that, to that point, is there anything that in your, in your life, um, you know, personal or professional that you do to help you ground yourself or, or focus? Is there, is there anything that, that you do, whether it's exercise, reading, meditate, like anything like that art? Yeah, no, that's a good, great question. So, um, like I said, I'm a, a avid comic book fan. I found that especially in COVID, I returned to comic books. It provided me a sense of calmness and relaxation, escapism, right? Returning to almost a childlike state of just kind of, um, you know, um, imagination. And I found that when I read comics again and thought about them, it actually made me more creative, a little less... Um, firm in, in my thinking, which was refreshing. Um, I got a Peloton bike, which, which I've been using to blow off steam as well. You know, obviously in COVID, you know, uh, a lot of us were way too stationary. So trying to get, get active again and, you know, work off some of those COVID pounds. Um, I would say my wife has been instrumental in really, um, really kind of, challenging me to inner introspection. And there are a lot of ways you can accomplish that. You can accomplish that through your spirituality, through, 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 uh, through you know, church or whatever you worship. It can be through uh, therapy, right? Just to go through the process of, of really digging in and understanding yourself. Um, but I really give her a lot of the credit for really challenging me to push to understand the why behind what I'm doing. And understand what's really yeah. motivating the behavior. Because once you understand that, you can really kind of make sense of of your your reality. So I would say some combination of all of those things. 
Well, that and that's fantastic to have people in your corner, you know, your 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 spouse, and for people in general, a significant other, and it doesn't even have to be, but have people in your corner that challenge you, but also support you, and that and that's a that's that's really big as far as not just community, but having people that can push and pull, but do so out of a sense of we're on. We're, we're, I'm in this together, and I care about you, and I and I want to make sure that you're maximizing your your potential and see that. So that that's great that you have that in your in your household. Yeah, no, that's 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 my toolkit. That and 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 my three year old Madison, who it's impossible, no matter how unhappy or frustrated I am, to not smile when she cracks a joke or she runs around. I mean, that's like the the ultimate you know, like neutralizer for whatever I'm feeling. So if, 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 if I'm really frustrated by the time uh, I go out and take an hour walk with her, the park, by the time I come back, I'm already feeling 10 times better. That's fantastic. So we, we just covered a lot in the, in this time. And, um, but I, I, I want to make sure before, before we have to, we have to jump off that we talk directly to what you're looking for, who should call you, when, how, and you, you've already touched some of the some of the why. But like, t- tell us a little bit about who who in in what need should be contacting you. Absolutely. So if you are a real estate operator or developer, and you focus on projects currently that are anywhere from a million dollars to fifty million dollars plus in size. You should be contacting us. Uh, and the reason I say that is there's probably a more efficient way for you to be capitalizing your projects. You can reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. I respond to DMs, Vernon Beckford. Visit our website, dlsloans.com, um, and email me at vernon.beckford at dlsloans.com. Those are the three easiest ways to get in touch with me. Um, if you're looking, I will say, not just for debt, but you're looking for um, support and funding your earnest money deposits, if you're looking for help bringing a key principle to your deals to meet net worth and liquidity requirements on, on, on your loans, or if you're looking for help in thinking through how to get programmatic private equity into your deals, you should be speaking to us as well. So like I said, if if you're doing deals one to fifty million, I'm very confident there's a more efficient way for you to be scaling up. You should re- be reaching out to us. All right, fantastic. So Vernon, I will also include all your contact information for for your company and and yourself um, in the show notes. But I want to thank you again for for joining and, and sharing your your journey. I, I know I learned a lot, and I, and I feel like our listeners are gonna gonna really enjoy this conversation. No, absolutely. I, I love talking about it. I mean, and, and, and I'd, I'd happily come back again. This was a ton of fun, and I, I really appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. We hope you found the conversation insightful and engaging. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your network. 
By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode as we continue to bring you inspiring discussions with industry leaders and pioneers. Stay connected to the latest insights, trends, and strategies across various fields from business and entrepreneurship to technology and innovation. Your support is vital in helping us reach more listeners and expand our community. So don't forget to leave a review and share your feedback. We appreciate your input and are committed to delivering valuable content that empowers and inspires. To stay updated on future episodes, be sure to follow us on either LinkedIn or our website, suttonrea.com. You can also find us on most podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Thank you for being part of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques community. We look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations and valuable insights in the future. Until then, keep exploring, learning, and applying these tools, talents, and techniques to achieve your own success.